Thaddeus Ellenberg presents Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. Gensingers versus Mossers. The Cherokees speak of a perennial herb with medicinal properties, seemingly mystical, undetectable by the white man whose gaze remains fixed forward with upturned faces like a simpleton taken by a butterfly. Clement Cotton, Naturalist, Boston, 1789. Deep in the backwoods of Appalachia, a centuries-long feud among foragers rages on. And at the center of it all, in Crocker County, North Carolina, a turf dispute between ginseng diggers and moss hunters. A modern-day Gideon Skaggs name is Woolcock, whose bitter vine ignited with the birth of the 19th century and continued through the generations of their respective lineages. An arch rivalry that over the years bore witness to barroom brawls, property damage, kidnapping, arson, incest, and a hot caramel feathering in 1905. The county itself is broken up into four districts, Martinsburg, Rollins Valley, the Little Chapel Mountains, named after area settler William Little Chapel, who built a hilltop church of contested size, and the river, also known as Parsons Ferry, which borders Jarvis County to the east and serves as the region's central distribution hub. Consisting of both private and federal lands, these districts, although policed by bands of organized gatherers operating within a structured hierarchy, are fragmented into territories and remain open season for any and all types of foragers amidst a long-forgotten truce. Today, the mountain territory of Preacher's Holler, which is like a hollow, only folks here, is overseen by Mike Skaggs, ancestor of legendary gin singer Gideon Skaggs, and great-grandson of Floyd Candy Apple Skaggs. This right here is our heritage, the 33-year-old former school bus driver says, brushing his hand over a three-leaf plant with ripe red berries. My birthright, and ain't nobody gonna come between me and my sing. For all of Mike's life, he scoured the hardwood hillsides of western North Carolina in search of that wild, elusive plant they call ginseng. Native to the Appalachian region due to its shade, rainfall, and mineral-rich soil, American ginseng is a way of life, and the digging for it dates back thousands of years. Its street names are Sang, Sing, Hillbilly Gum, Witch Fingers, Yin Yin, China Root, China Cool, Pecker Juice, Dirt Babies, and Pappy Balls. It's a plant that has built and destroyed empires, made men and broken them, and its demand stretches globally. After centuries of over-harvesting in eastern parts of the world for its health benefits, such as weight loss, reducing inflammation, and increasing libido, the Asian market has depended on its trade with Appalachian ginsengers since the 1800s. A relationship first established in the northern colony of New York 
as Southerners still referred to it in the parlance of the day, by the eldest son of Gideon Skaggs, Obadiah, inside a sin-filled opium den on Pico Street. Obadiah returned to the foothills of Appalachia with not only a slew of Chinese contacts that would put his family in the history books, but a poppy habit he introduced to his nearest and dearest before sleeping from the summer of 1853 to the winter of 1854. In short, ginseng means money. Cash crop like none other. A billion dollars sitting beneath the soil, just waiting to be found. And it's tax-free. All you gotta know is where to dig. The roots of ginseng, the business end of the plant, are aged by their scars like rings on a tree. And it's real simple. The older the root, the greater the profit. See the notches? Mike points out on a forked, man-shaped root with long strands. This thing's over 60 years old. My pop Earl planted this whole section when he took over the holler. When I come along, two weeks old, they took these baby pictures of me all sprawled out in it. Paper printed one of them and crowned me baby of the month. Isn't that something? I got the clipping in the house if y'all want to see it. With ginseng prices at an all-time high, the threat of poachers has Mike on high alert. And like his kin before him, Mike and his crew will protect their mountain claim at any cost. Gotta keep an eye out. Those moss munchers are always looking for fresh ground. Mike says, lifting a worn rifle to a row of empty beer cans with a plug of moss pushed through the mouth of the lid. They traipse all up and through here at night. The next time they do, we'll be ready for them. Mike, along with his ragged squad of backcountry enforcers, has fortified the mountain with motion sensor cameras and trip wires, even explosives. It's hard to find people you can trust these days. Mike admits, swatting a mosquito from his face. I lost two guys last week after they stepped on one of our mines up yonder picking honeysuckle for jelly for their mamas. Boy, you're damn straight those women got their jelly. When I hauled over what was left of their boys in a trash bag so they could give them a proper burial, the gin singer says, removing his mesh-vented trucker cap in a brief gesture of reverence. Naturally, I felt obliged to give those grieving mamas a discount on the jelly. We take care of our kind up here. A mile away up the nearby Black Bluff Mountain in a slope cemetery of fallen logs, a different kind of hunt is on. And the prize? A lush mat of brilliant green moss. A moist, fertile ecosystem of water, nutrients, and microorganisms. Here in Appalachia, money does grow on trees. Better yet, rocks and their smaller mineral brethren stones. Like ginseng, moss is harvested in the wild and flourishes in damp, shady environments. It's used by nurseries and florists in crafting, premium compost, competitive topiary, insulation, and sustainable architecture. Slang terms for moss include mountain sponge, Mother Nature's carpet, or MNC, mountain green, green, greeny, green peat, 
Piper Pete, Mick Blanket, Bog Breath, Trunk Toupee, Bug City, and Stone Scalp. It may not hold the same monetary value as ginseng when it comes to international trade or even the small-time buyers in Martinsburg, but for the past several decades, the sale of moss has found a flashy new footing in the film industry and set design at large. A virgin market seized in the late 1980s by veteran mosser J.T. Woolcock, a descendant of famed moss hunter Amos Woolcock. And then, uh, let's see, there was Beast King, Swamp Goon, Water Bears, four and five, the 59-year-old overall clad Crocker County native says, reeling off the names of productions featuring his moss. Gnome Gully, Log Time Machine. Some fellas from Seymour Willie Studios even got our green line in the lavatory walls there, Dino Land. How many monsters can say that? Today, JT cares for the family's fabled Black Bluff Moss Forest, part of the famous Emerald Mountain chain in the Little Chapels. A legendary yield with a clump of mountain green that dates back to the days of JT's great-grandfather, Elias Bull Peanut Woolcock, whose infamous moss, frozen in the 1940s, netted him a fortune after connecting with the Japanese bonsai market during World War II, a move many of Bull Peanut's peers regarded as tantamount to war profiteering. Be that as it may, Woolcock's modern-day moss is considered unmatched. Film the palms on this clump here, JT suggests, giddily directing our camera crew to an extensive root system carpeted with thick moss. Now, a lot of times I like to rub my cheek to it. You can check the quality that way. That's how come I always keep a close shave. There's the looking part of it, and then there's the feeling part. If it tickles you down the back of your neck, you've got a good crop. And if you feel it down in your pawpaws, well, now that'll fetch a pretty penny. This in here lands right about the belly button. Should bring in about a buck fifty a pound. This week, JT and his hired hand of day laborers, forced to work blindfolded as a safeguard, rushed to fill an order for a new Japanese steakhouse opening up in nearby Flaxburg, West Virginia. Carving off sections of the green carpet feet at a time, the workers carefully roll and bale the moss before feeling their way back to a waiting flatbed truck. Let's pick it up, boys, the seasoned mosser shouts. Walk to the sound of my voice. There you go, you got it. Now we're mossing. JT steps away from the loading to show off one of his new security measures. Ginseng diggers are always snooping around up this way. The Scots-Irish mosser explains, kneeling to the forest floor by a small grouping of fake-looking plants with five prongs. We got floodlights on all sides of the property, but this is a big order, and we don't have time for distractions. So I've been putting out these uh, silk ginseng leaflets past several nights to fool any of their scouts that might come around. I used to string up cow pies eye-level, but that... That, that just more confused them than anything, JT says, then shakes off a confusing thought. They look real, don't they? Yeah, I got a silk guy. He did some chrysanthemum and thistle for me a while back for a county fair cakewalk. Now these here are sugar, but the difference is paltry, the moss man assures. Wait till they get back with a sack full of these. That'll stick in their crawl good. 
Meanwhile, back in Preacher's Holler, the ginsengers prep for a well-earned payday. Inside Mike's home, which is sparsely furnished and bathed in fluorescent light, a large set of scales sit on the kitchen counter, with a tall plastic drum to one side. Here, several of Mike's workers, ages 17 to 70 and dressed in mismatched camouflage, ready a small harvest of sang for sale to a local buyer. These barrels here are going up to a fat farm in Wahali, the fledgling ginsinger says, punching away at a dirt-covered calculator. And they've been buying bulk from us for a while now since our corner on the China market dried up on us a while back. That's when we turned to buying. We used to do a lot more buying, but you know, we got to where we could hardly foot the bill to turn stuff over. It don't matter much now. Sang just ain't out there. Mike airs with a look of distress. The holler, that's, that's my insurance policy. It tears me up to have to dig it, but mm, mm, little ones has got to eat. The Sanger says, shaking his head. And just as soon as I get some young ones, boy, every night will be a banquet. In the wake of increased cultivation overseas, the hard winters cut the growing season in half and brought the region ginseng production to an all-time low, forcing Mike to dip into the family sang and harvest the holler's oldest and most valuable sections. We got diggers scattered in the county to keep us afloat, but, you know, you're only as good as your help. Mike imparts with a frustrated tone. Golly, I tell you, it's frustrating. One of them come in the other day with an empty bag and candied sang leaves all over their mouth. Well, you talk about an ant problem. While his workers finish prepping the order, Mike takes our crew on a tour of his home. His house has been the family for generations. The ginsinger reveals, holding a holiday photo of him and his mother and father, standing next to a burlap sack with a big red bow, filled to the brim with Carolina sang. And it's just about paid off again. Who's that? The producer asks off camera, gesturing to a framed glamour portrait of a young woman whose pictures litter the walls. Oh, them? I, 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 I don't know. Mike ekes out with a wince before settling into an afflicted gaze. She's sure something sweet, though, ain't she? Whoever she is. Hey, I know. Let's go out and play with the dogs. They might be rooting in their crotch or have a squirrel we can wrestle away and throw over the fire. You ever had squirrel skewers? Mmm, boy, and I tell you, that's good eating. It's mountain rule in Appalachia. And for Mike, the mountain way is the ginsinger's way. But outside, the tender tendon the squirrel haunches will have to wait as Mike discovers one of his trail cameras was triggered in the night. An all-too-familiar problem with moss hunting season in full swing. Daggum greenies. The ginsinger with uneven mutton chops mutters to himself, frantically fumbling the camera trying to connect it to his phone. He fires up an app and reviews the footage. Sons of bitches. Mike cries out with disgust. Mossers, a producer chimes in. Worse, Mike replies with a look of horror. Mushroomers. Mike's dogs go wild as if spooked by Mike's mere mention of the name. If there's one thing ginsengers and monsters can agree on, it's a heated disdain for mushroomers. Or shroomers 
as they're referred to in the hills and hollers of southern Appalachia. Mushrooming is the foraging for wild mushrooms and morels, which are distinct for their honeycomb appearance. Found on every continent, mushrooms have become an essential provision of the forest-to-table movement, one in which harvesters can sell their spore-bearing scores directly to the restaurants. Common names for mushrooms include caps, buttons, cups, teacups, puffballs, veggie meat, stools, spotted stools, madcaps, and mice brawly. Considered among foragers as the tourists of the gathering community, amateur mushroomers can book commercially guided tours that take them thick into the far-flung reaches of the region in search of those precious edible capped fungi. These delightfully basket bushels are then taken to partnering restaurants and prepped for the guests in a flat-rate, all-inclusive dinner. It's all about the simulation of hard work and value, says owner and guide of Shroom Shroom Tours, Ashton Corgi, of the Danford County, Sand Dollar Island Corgis, creating an experience that justifies the excessive fee. Ashton has been leading guests throughout the land for the past six months and takes great pride in exercising his family's famous get-up-and-go know-how in the backwater wild. My dad taught me the same survival skills that his dad passed on to him, like cost padding and competitor defamation. It's all about playing the part. Oh, wow, everybody, come here, check this out! The fair-faced shroomer shouts signaling a small group of guests in fashionable clothes and rubber boots. People referred to in the green and sang circles as day shroomers, or weekend gatherers. How lucky are we, Ashton says, holding up a pale reddish toadstool. A Reuben's cherry, very rare. I like to saute them with lemongrass and serve in a creamy chive sauce. Sometimes I'll straight powder them and use as a multi-purpose oral paste. Flocking in on the weekends from the metropolitan area of Kensington, North Carolina, 90 miles east of Crocker County, mushroomers employ a leisurely, kitschy approach to gathering and are notorious for breaching ginsenger and monster-controlled territories. And with the number of infringing mushroomers on the rise, Mike and his fellow foragers will need to act fast. At the bluff, Monster JT begins his day same as any other, implementing his forefather's adopted principles and humble beginnings. Since my great-granddaddy's dealings with the Japanese, which is what they are, being from Japan and all, I've taken quite the liking to their ways, their customs. JT says, standing on the front porch of his rustic mountain home, sipping matcha tea, wearing a traditional kimono, I like to think we share a cultural bond, one nurtured through the magic of moss. Now back here, this is my katana collection. JT says, smiling through his checkerboard front teeth, leading our crew into a back bedroom with a blue tarp covering the window. I cherish all of these. This one here was given to me by a wise old man who I paid $50 in the parking lot behind Judy's bar. Got this one on that home shopping station. 
came in a 119 blade collection. At that value, I, I couldn't afford not to get them. JT's disposition for Japanese tradition influences practically every aspect of the mountaineer monster's life. Now, when I'm dressing a deer, I like to use a Tonto blade, JT demonstrates. A stabber, yes, but I found it works well on flesh. Yeah. We'll have some shabu-shabu uh, venison boiling up here in a bit. Now stand back, you don't want the innards spilling out all over your shoes. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly, a sound at the forest edge alerts JT like the vigilant deer of the Mukai Temple. This way, everyone, a cheery voice utters from the woodland. I know an awesome little grove up here with some bangle spores. Appearing from the trees is mushroomer Ashton Corgi and a group of day shroomers from the city, approaching the flabbergasted JT, who stands frozen with slack-jawed confusion. Hey, look, everyone, a mountain man. The 24-year-old communications-turned-liberal arts major announces, alerting his guests. And another filming crew. Meta-awkward, Ashton says, shooting both cameras a playful leer. Yeah, get in there, grab some selfies. These mountain folk are a proud people. And as you can see, are sometimes so poor they're forced to wear floral bedsheets as clothes. The sweet-smelling shroomer informs his party as several guests nestle up next to a stunned JT and pose for pictures. Sweetheart, hold up your basket. Oh yeah, put your arm around the deer, that's super cute. It's a new frontier in Appalachia, and it's lined peak to valley with pioneers aplenty. In Preacher's Holler, Mike sounds a siren on a five-alarm fungus fire that's sweeping through the county out of control. I gotta get my Uncle Clayton on the horn, Mike exclaims in a panic, flipping through an old date book. We gotta alert the whole county. Hell, it's 1887 all over again. At the end of the 19th century, ginsengers and monsters were met in the woods high and low by another foe, pokers and they came in search of a wild leafy green called pokeweed. Otherwise known as poke, Virginia poke, bloodberry, inkweed, and most distinguishingly, poke salad. Or poke salad, as it's called in Cajun country. Pokeweed is a plentiful plant that can be found just about anywhere. It's also toxic, but boiled to perfection, it's an Appalachian staple. Yet in 1887, following an uptick in pokers on private property, as well as a countywide potluck and hootenanny, which resulted in a poker's banquet of fouled up tossed salet, a spoiled pot of Mountain Creek Booyah Base taking out an entire Skaggs family jug and washboard van, including comb and tissue paper frontman Bud Blue Lip Skaggs, a shotgun toting mob of ginsengers, led by Floyd Candy Apple Skaggs, drove the pokers out of Crocker County in the dead of night, pushing them south to the swamps of Louisiana. Modern-day pokers refer to the forcible relocation as the Great Exodus. Something's gotta be done about these shroomers once and for all, Mike anxiously proclaims after misdialing several other Crocker County skags. And there's only one set of folks to nip all this right in the bud for good. 
it's time to rally the council. Next time on Ginsingers vs. Mossers. A surge in shroomer activity calls for an assembly of Crocker County's oldest and most influential gatherers. JT gets down and dirty and shows off his minis. And Mike rekindles a long smoldering flame amid a stirring ceasefire. This has been a production of Thaddeus Ellenberg's Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. With an introduction by Nicole Kalasich. And artwork by Adrian Lobel. This series is independently produced by Thaddeus Ellenberg. To find more episodes and information, visit our website at tecasualfriday.com or email us at contact.casualfriday at gmail.com.